Hello, and welcome to this teaching from Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Albuquerque. We pray that God uses these messages to restore lives, and we're encouraged when we hear lives are being built on His truth. If this message instills you with boldness to live for Jesus, tell us. Email us at mystory@calvaryabq.org. And if you'd like to support this ministry financially, you can give online securely at calvaryabq.org slash giving. In this series titled Rock Solid, we learn strong principles for godly living as we study through the book of 2 Peter. To make our journey of faith, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. In this message called Caution, Rets Ahead, Skip challenges us to watch out for anything that might lead us astray. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 as he begins in verse 15. As a servant of the Lord, I'm a servant of His Word. And uh, as I um, am that, uh, I don't necessarily get to pick and choose what out of the Scripture I teach. But because our method is through a book or through a series like this, um, we discover an entire chapter devoted to such encouraging topics like false prophets. And because of that, we don't want to skimp on it or or not read it, but submit ourselves to it and find out why it's there and what it's there for and, and what it means to us personally. So uh, even as I am a servant of His Word and we are people of His Word, uh, we pause to pray uh, and submit ourselves to the teaching of His Word. Let's pray. Lord, in this little pause... This act of devotion that we know is prayer. It is simple, really. You are God and we are not. You made us, you formed us, you fashioned us, and you gave to us in the person of Jesus Christ a Savior, the way, the truth, the life. Because there is truth, Lord, it only makes sense there, there would be falsehood and counterfeits. We have the opportunity in a country like ours to enjoy freedom of worship, freedom of expression, and the freedom, Lord, to read and to believe what we know to be inerrant truth preserved by God, given from heaven to those of us who live on this earth. Lord, give us grace, I pray, to be able to look at squarely, to deal with directly, and then to apply personally the truth that we find in these verses. In Jesus' name, amen. Doctors will always tell you that you should never take prescription medication out of their original package. It's really simple as to why. If you have ever traveled and you pulled things out of different bottles and you need to pack them, it's a lot easier to just put them in one vessel. But it's not wise to do so because you may get confused as to which pill is which. And that's dangerous. Whereas if you keep it in the original package, your name is on it, the expiration date is on it, what's in it is on it, and there's just no confusion. 
There's an interesting story about a gal who worked at a telephone store down in Jackson, Mississippi. She went away on a coffee break and came back and found her boss, Jim, Jim McGowan, was sitting at her desk, his head in his hands, and he noticed her as she came in and said, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I hope you'll forgive me. I took the liberty of going through your desk to find aspirin. I have a terrible headache. And so I, I found the pill jar, and I took two of them, and I feel much better. And she said, That's, that's great, Mr. McGowan. And... You won't get pregnant either. <laughs> Just as it is dangerous to have medicine in the wrong jar with the wrong label, it is also dangerous to call false prophets, false teachers, and what they say anything else other than that, that it is false. It is dangerous to do so. And it is for that very reason that Peter spends an entire chapter in this short little letter, Second Peter. Chapter 2 is spent entirely on placing the correct label on the bad medicine. It is a very straightforward passage, very concise, very complete, and one of the strongest in the entire New Testament on what this false prophecy is about. You've seen the sign before that says wrong way. It's usually red. It's a, it's a red diamond in white lettering, wrong way, telling you don't go this way. Essentially, that is what is in Peter's mind. He understands that we can be going one way that is the right way, but the danger of others steering us off the path is very real. I want you to notice some wording, even before we read the entirety of the text. In verse 15 of 2 Peter 2, he notes, they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam. Verse 21, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. That little word way means a roadway or a pathway. And the most typical form of going from one place to another was walking in those days. So the picture in the original author's mind is people walking down a roadway being pushed off the right path onto another road that is the wrong way. That's the idea behind this text. You probably also know that in the New Testament it is not uncommon to speak about your walk as your spiritual journey, right? Uh, the word or the term your walk or the walk or the way is often symbolic of the decisions you make and your entire lifestyle. And so Peter is writing to his audience saying, be very careful. Take great caution. There are ruts in this road that are put there by false teachers, false prophets, and even wrong pathways that they want to take you down. This week I found an article, actually I looked for it and so I found it online, uh, of a little newspaper in England, a publication, where people would um, air their complaints. And um, it's in Surrey, England. This one town was found. And this man uh, was speaking about a road in, in his county and in his town. And uh, this local citizen writes this, This is the most dangerous road in our county. 
It is dark and narrow. It has deep ruts at the edges. And I have had several near misses with oncoming traffic. And he warns at the end of his little complaint that there could be a severe accident in the future. After writing that, the council wrote back online and responded with this. There are no funds available till next year, but this remains our highest priority. Our highest priority, no money. This is Peter's highest priority. He is about to die. This is the last recorded utterance that we have of Peter, is this book. And he wants to make sure these truths are in place. So let's look at them, beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Continuing the theme from last time, they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But this has happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. I think Peter knew something. I think that Peter believed that it is profitable for all believers from time to time to stop, to pause, to consider their walk. Where they're going, how they're doing it, with whom they are walking, and where it leads It's interesting, um, pigeons, how they walk. Have you noticed? Their head moves back and forth like this when they walk. And it's the strangest thing. Honestly, I don't really care for pigeons. I'd never have one as a pet, per se. Uh, But I've always been interested in why they do that. And I discovered, just from a little research, that they cannot focus while they're walking. They actually have their head at a complete stop. And they focus, take a step, move the head again, Focus, take a step, move the head forward, focus, step backwards, and and they do it quite efficiently. And it's as if Peter says, like that, you need to stop and refocus and consider what's out there and who's out there and what it can lead to. From time to time, we just need a good Bible study on the subject, and Peter has given us an entire chapter's worth. So allow me to show you the road signs on this path. There are four cautionary signs that Peter puts out as to the ruts that are in the road. Be careful as you walk. Be careful who you walk with. Be careful what you walk toward. And finally, be careful how your walk ends. 
Can I show them to you? Verse 15, be careful as you walk. He says, they have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. Let's just stop there. He's speaking about people who were taken off course. And have you noticed, if you have read your New Testament at all, that from the beginning of the New Testament, the time of Jesus to the book of Revelation, there is warning after warning after warning that this is a possibility. It seems as though all of the authors understood that this is a battle And in our walks, we have to be very cautious as we walk because there are people out there that want to take you the wrong way. Let me give you just a sampling, if I may, of those warnings. These are from the lips and the pen of Paul the Apostle. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, I fear that somehow you will be led astray from your pure and simple devotion to Christ. Galatians chapter 1 I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. For there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. In Ephesians 4, he writes, We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting... The final text that I want to share with you is in Acts 20, as Paul is leaving a city he had been in for three years, the town of Ephesus. He says this, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come. They will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Remember, he said, that for three years... I did not cease to warn you with tears. So, throughout the entire New Testament, you have warnings of ruts in the road. Ruts of legalism, ruts of self-righteousness, ruts of pride, of apathy, of doubt, of anger, of jealousy, of doctrinal error. So, simply put, step number one, warning sign number one on this roadway Be careful as you walk. Now, Paul the Apostle said almost the exact same thing. When he wrote to the Ephesians, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly. Do you remember that word? See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Circumspectly means carefully or with exactness. The point is, is when you walk, watch where you're putting each step. It's interesting, really, when a child learns to walk. It's one of the most wonderful days of a parent's life. Look, he's walking. And we really don't care much about how they do it. But very soon after that come all the warnings. Be careful where you walk. Look both ways when you cross the street. All of those warnings are enacted once the walking process begins. When I was a youth... Uh, we had a field trip one day at our school to the local dairy. I was late for school, which was not untypical. Uh, my dad uh, would take me to school sometimes. If I missed the bus, I missed the bus. And so instead of going with all the kids to the dairy and going the, the proper entrance to the dairy, my dad pulled up alongside the fence where there was a pasture, and we could see the kids out there. 
in the dairy. So my dad just said, just go through the fence and join your friends. But, he said, knowing what I was walking through, be very careful as you walk. That makes sense, right? I don't have to describe much more than the, that. The landmines were there. It was a cow pasture. And I made sure that I walked very circumspectly through the field. But I came home later on, and I sensed something. And I looked, and indeed, I hadn't walked that circumspectly. But I was rather foolish in my approach to the rest of the kids. Now, in saying walk carefully, I really don't want you to become a reactionary Christian. There are some people that react automatically to everything as if there's just false prophets waiting around the bush. I happen to believe that is true, but, but, but it can cause a person to become almost so narrow-minded as if they're the only arbiter of truth that every sermon, every book, every article, you know, has got something bad in it. And we look for certain words. I don't want you to become the gospel Gestapo here. I simply would love it if you would learn to discern. It's a good word, discern. It means to distinguish between truth and error. That you just listen carefully and you watch carefully as you walk. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Test all things and hold fast to what is good. Mark Twain, who can only say it like he said it, Remark that a a lie can make its way halfway around the world while truth is still lacing up its boots. Seems to be so true how fast error will travel. And it also seems to be human nature to go astray. That's why there are laws. Isaiah the prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray. The hymn writer said, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So simply said, be careful as you walk. Second warning sign is to be careful who you walk with. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Um, Your company of friends is very important. Who you hang with is very, very important. Because you probably also know that... um, The secret of doing anything and keeping your interest up in anything is to have the right company of people around you. That's why clubs develop. There are reading clubs and knitting clubs and there's car clubs and motorcycle clubs and they have rallies and they have chat rooms and they have magazines. And it's because they know this truth that if you want to succeed and keep going in anything, surround yourself with the information and the inspiration of people who also have the same interests. Amos the prophet said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? So find people that agree with God's truth and walk with them. That's one of the reasons we go to church. It's one of the reasons that we break up in small groups. It's because when we come together like this, we're literally on the same page. We're we're reading the walking manual. And then we... We watch and we listen in small groups how people are applying it personally and learning to walk with the Lord. Okay, with all that said, go to your text and and notice words that are repeated. I want to draw your attention to these words. They're all third-person words. 
they, them, those, these. Notice it, verse 15. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray. Verse 17, these are wells without water. Verse 18, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure on and on through virtually every verse. He's writing about those guys, them dudes, they. He is speaking here about the aggregate group of false teachers and their followers that comprise the they. Now, normally, I would tell you that it's unhealthy to have a dichotomy of us and them, we and they. It's not good to do that, especially in the body of Christ. We're in this together. We are brothers and sisters. However, following Peter's lead, it's very healthy to make a dichotomy between those who hold to the historic Christian faith and those who pervert the gospel. And to say, this is truth, and there are those who don't hold to the truth. And because of that, as John even said, they are not of us. It is important to have people in your life who will inspire you spiritually. To have people around you, part of your we group, that love the Lord and inspire you to get better and to go longer and be stronger. It's very important. It's also unnerving. My dad used to tell me, because uh, we were all golfers, uh, I haven't kept it up, but, but he said, Skip, I notice that you like to play golf with people who, who you can beat. If you ever really want to get good at this game, find people who can, who can beat you or who are at least as good as you so it's an even match because you will observe and watch what they do and you'll get better at it. But it can be unnerving in the Christian faith. I I read a story that uh, Dwight Lyman Moody, young D.L. Moody, who became an evangelist and pastor, that his conversion was so radical that he would read the Bible hours a day in the Word and, and apply it immediately and be obedient to the Word that it actually bothered some of the older, more mature believers in his church. That his rapid growth embarrassed those who had been in the faith a longer time. Every week, D.L. Moody would come to Sunday school and talk about what God did, what God showed him, and how the Lord has worked in his life. And the older saints honestly felt a little humiliated by him. That some of them actually went to his uncle and said, could you quiet the boy down? A biographer of D.L. Moody wrote this. His robust spiritual health and bounding spiritual energy disturbed their napping. He was just too much for them. So while they were sucking their thumbs, he was growing until he left them far behind. He grew more in a few years than they did in 30. When I read that, I said, God, give us more D.L. Moody's. Give us those kind of people in our lives that inspire us to walk strong. Be careful who you walk with. So, while he's talking about they and these and those and them, he mentions one particular person by name from the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Balaam. Balaam is in the Old Testament hall of shame. He's an unusual cat, a strange guy, because he was a Gentile prophet who was called upon 
by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the Jewish people because the Jewish people were a sizable company and coming into the land. So he hires Balaam. Balaam comes and he knows what he is about to do is wrong. The Lord warned him. But he goes anyway because the pay was good and the honor would be even greater. So he goes in a direct disobedience to the Lord and while he is going, the Lord opens the mouth of his dumb donkey. It says a dumb donkey spoke to him. A donkey who couldn't speak spoke. So you have a dumb donkey and a dumber prophet. You have dumb and dumber. You which, you wonder which is dumber. Usually donkeys are known as being stubborn. The prophet was worse. You ever see Mr. Ed? Remember Mr. Ed? I grew up with Mr. Ed. This is like the Old Testament version of Mr. Ed. But it's a donkey. Balaam. People ask me, will there be animals in heaven? I sure hope this one is. Now Balaam, like those with him, the they, the those, the them guys, they would use their spiritual gift purely to get rich for profit. Have you ever read those surveys asking people what they would do for a million dollars or ten million dollars or what their price would be to do certain off-color activities? Well, I found one recently that said, what would you be willing to do for $10 million? Listen to this survey. 25% of those who took this survey, 25% said that for $10 million, they would be willing to abandon their families. 25%. 23% said they would become a prostitute for a week. 7% said they would kill a stranger if the price was right. Now, I want you to know what that means. That means that if you have a group of 1,000 people, there are 70 in that group who are willing to kill someone if the price was right. Balaam was willing to do this deed because the price was right, the status was right, the honor was right. Notice how these are described in verse 17. These are wells without water. How disappointing. To be so thirsty and come up to a well or a water fountain and you push the button and there's no water in it. There's no refreshment. Do you know that every human being has an inborn thirst for God? We thirst for spiritual reality, something authentic but spiritual. We all do. And false prophets know this and they make promises, but they are wells without water. Notice what else? They are clouds carried by a tempest. In other words, clouds that blow in and blow out. You know what it's like when you see clouds coming in from the west? You go, oh, we need rain so bad. We always say that around here. And so here come the clouds, the clouds. There go the clouds, the clouds. No rain in them. So they may make promises, but there's no moisture. There's no deliverance. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of commotion, but no refreshment. Rather, in verse 18, they speak great swelling words of emptiness. Great swelling words. They're orators. And they know they're good at it. And they use that gift of oration to get the kind of disciples that they wish. With charisma and eloquence, 
they impress people. I've noticed something over the years that's been uh, disconcerting to me. That so often people are more easily impressed with how a person says something rather than what a person actually says. That the substance isn't as important as, wow, did you see that? It's because we are so form-oriented in our culture and external-oriented that we're driven by it. I've, I've always loved that story of the old Native American man who was very wise and he went to church and one Sunday the pastor had not prepared a message, had not poured over the text, had not spent time before the Lord. So to make up for his lack of preparation, he got all frothy and noisy and pounded the pulpit and, and shouted and shouted and shouted and people loved it. They said he preached up a storm. That was their words. He preached up a storm. They asked the old Native American what he thought. He uttered six short words. High wind, big thunder, no rain. That's essentially what Peter is saying. High wind, big thunder, no rain. Clouds without water, wells without water. Be careful who you walk with. Be careful what you listen to. Here's another sign on this road. Be careful what you walk toward. Now, there is an allure in the message of the false prophet, of the false teacher. There is a promise. They over-promise, but they under-deliver. And so you are walking toward something. They're going, come on, come on, come on, come this way. What are you walking toward? Be careful about that. I want you to notice something here, what they're promising. Verse 18. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning." They promise freedom. The allurement is come and be free. Do what you want. Do as you please. The more you do as you please, the less you are pleased with what you do. The allurement is the freedom. But what they deliver is bondage. Now, I want to say something here because it's sort of, it's it's absolutely essential to to sort of find out what what we're dealing with here. Every... Book that I've read, every commentator that I've read, every scholar that I've looked at the test doesn't exactly know what group Peter is referring to. It's not that there is a particular cult or a particular religion like Gnosticism that John and others write about. It just seems to be that there's developing among Christians this belief system where people realize, you know, it, it's empty to live in this world without God and I should better myself somehow. So I need to believe in something to feel good about myself and to better myself short of, short of repentance from my sin and faith in Jesus Christ alone. Whatever that system is that is developing, Peter senses it, and he writes about it. It's true, most of the world is looking for a better way to live. They want some spiritual experience, but they want it without the narrowness of the gospel, 
They want it, but they don't want to be told they're sinners and they have to leave that. They don't want to be told that they have to have a new birth and trust in Jesus Christ alone. So what they opt for is some religious reformation. It's amazing how many people say, I go to church and I go there just to feel better. And I want a place that will tell me I'm okay and I'm good and makes me feel better. And I want to feel better about myself. So it's sort of an outward reformation. I'll, I'll kind of put these few religious things into practice. But, but I want you to get the gist of what Peter is saying. Outer reformation without inward transformation will lead to spiritual incarceration. Bondage. Slavery. They promise freedom. But you'll end up in worse bondage. Let me level with you. You may be a very spiritual person. And you may be an unsaved person. I meet people all the time. I'm a very spiritual person. Well, congratulations. Aren't we all? But what manner are you? Are you a saved person? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Ah, in that you're a saved person. Fourth and final sign is be careful how your walk ends. The last two verses, let's just look at them and remark on them and apply them. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. They had the, they were confronted with the truth of the gospel, but they didn't want it. They rejected it. Then having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. And a sow, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Um, He's not speaking very kindly about little doggies, is he? And, And little piggies. You know, these are two animals that in our culture, they're pets. In that culture, they were not, right? You, you understand that back then, 2,000 years ago, they didn't have dogs as pets. They were scavenger animals that ran around town and ate garbage. Pigs were considered highly unkosher, as you know. And it was never a compliment to be seen, of, seen as a pig or a dog. The Gentiles were called dogs. Now, back in verse 12, he, he describes false teachers as natural, brute Beasts made to be caught and destroyed. Verse 12, you can look at it yourself if you have a Bible. Now he he gets more specific. They're like a dog that returns to its vomit and a pig that goes back to its mother. Now why do dogs and pigs do that? It's their nature. It's their nature to do that. I have a friend uh, that had a pig one time as a pet. It was in his house. And I was in his house and just watching this pig run around. I was okay with it, but um, um, it's still a pig. You can bathe the pig and dress a pig, and I've even seen a pig. i gotta, I got to tell you this. I've seen a pig with a bow tie on. <laughs> seen it with my own eyes. And it's novel, but at the end of the day, that thing is still a pig, and it will demonstrate its nature. I'll give you an example you're aware of. Tigers and lions that are at circuses are trained to respond to human commands and the crack of a whip. But all trainers know 
But those animals are carnivorous hunters, and I dare not turn my back. Because that's their nature. In 2003, at the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas, at the Siegfried and Royd show, a 600-pound white tiger took Roy Horn like a rag doll and threw him around that stage in an attack. Trainers are aware that is a possibility because that is its nature. And here is Peter saying that these people will do what their unregenerate, unredeemed nature is really like. You can dress up a pig and put a bow tie on a pig. And just like you can dress up a person and put a bow tie on a person. But if there's no change in the essential nature, they're not given a new nature by the new birth. They'll just live like the old life. Where is your walk ending up? Whatever belief system you're choosing to walk down, does it end in the sheep pen under the care of the good shepherd? Or like these animals that return to their own filth? It's a very, very potent point that he is making. Now, I don't know for sure, but could it be that as Peter is writing this, he's actually thinking of a real-life example? He's thinking of somebody that he knew quite well, who was a friend of his, who was one of his closest friends, who walked with Jesus for three years, named Judas. You don't get any closer than following Jesus around, eating and drinking and sleeping and breathing and walking with Jesus Christ and those disciples did. You know that both Peter and Judas betrayed Jesus. And Peter was so brokenhearted that he repented. Judas was so brokenhearted that he killed himself. Peter is such an honorable name even to this day, that some of you are named after him. But there is nobody here named after Judas. You don't name any, you don't know anybody named Judas. You would name your dog Judas. That's how infamous his name has become. Could it be that Peter is thinking of that when he is writing this? Proximity to the truth is no guarantee of change. You need to be given a new nature, regeneration, the new birth. Okay, time's up. I want you to walk away with three little things to tuck in your, in your Bibles and your brains and your notes. Because you and I will be confronted with words and lifestyles of people who purport to be spiritual people from this day forward. So there's three tests you can apply. Three tests you can apply. The test of character. The test of creed. And the test of converts. Apply those three. The character of the person. Is there the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness. The test of creed. What are they saying about Jesus? What are they saying about God? Are they abandoning the narrow gate? Are they abandoning the narrow way? Are they messing with the historic Christian truth? And finally, the test of converts. Look at the people they're influencing. What is the effect of that teaching on those followers? Where is their joy? Where's their vibrancy? Where's their holiness? Where's their prayer life? Have they gotten too harsh and legalistic? Or have they gotten too loose and self-centered? 
D.L. Moody was talking to a friend one day, and another guy walked up, and this other guy, Moody, saw and said to his friend, that man was in the army. And the friend to whom he was speaking said, well, I know him. He's a friend of mine. You're absolutely right. He, he was in the army. But how did you know? Moody said, I could tell by the way he walked. You can tell by the way people walk, and people can tell by the way you walk. I'm so thankful you love the Bible. Look at this church packed full of people with Bibles. What an honor to be among you and to serve you in the Word. But please don't be fooled by anyone's sheep costume. Dig a little deeper. Father, we do pray with a, with a spirit and heart that is behind the words of Peter, that you would make us discerning believers. Not narrow-minded people. Willing to embrace those who name the name of Christ, but always with a discernment that would say, I need to just look a little deeper and be a little more careful. So that we might grow and not go astray, as Peter writes here. Lord, would you help us? Would you place around us those inspiring ones that will help us grow even further and deeper and stronger? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we watch for false teachers, we must keep building our own faith with the study of God's Word. What study habits help you gain a deeper understanding of the Bible? Let us know. Email calvaryabq.org. And just a reminder, you can give financially to this work at calvaryabq.org. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Skip Heitzig of Calvary Albuquerque.